This is The Shift with Drex On Demand. I was at the mall and I was uh, getting a gift card and a lady behind me walked up and she bought $3,000 in gift cards. Wow, that is one heck of a shopping spree. That is a birthday gift to end all birthday gifts. Here's $3,000. Then I realized quickly that may or may not be what's happening. Her payment method was Alipay. How would you like to pay for that? Alipay. And then I went, whoa. Now, I don't know much about Alipay. I do know it's very similar to PayPal in that you can move money. So I thought I would get a little bit of help. Uh, Michelle Bayo joins me now to talk about this a little bit more in depth so we can understand what's going on. Michelle is founder and CEO of Finnovator Inc., associate producer of the social movement. And um, so your background, Michelle, is the financial technology um, and the different ways to do business. And, and, you know, there's some good in all of that because it expands business. But there's also some other things going on that I have questions about that I'm hoping you can enlighten uh, all of us on here. Thanks for spending some time. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to, to be on the shift and, and have this discussion. So Alipay is like most people would know their own version of PayPal. Is that a safe summary of what they do? Um, yeah, they're a little bit more than that. So I think I, I'm going to give a reference. Um, my background's pretty diverse. I've done telecom for six years. I did online shopping uh, for eight, and I, I did prepaid cards. So the gift cards you speak of at the mall, uh, I worked for for a company named Incom um, and enabled a lot of that infrastructure. And actually in 2017, helped launch WeChat at 7-Eleven, which is the QR payments uh, that you speak of. And then later uh, that growth came to Alipay and WeChat coming into Canada. And um, when you look at that question, like Alipay and WeChat are the two largest payment infrastructure apps in China. Mm-hmm. And to give some context, I come from the telecom space. So give a reference that when I started telecom in 2000 or 1999, Canada was just moving from analog to digital towers. Mm-hmm. And it cost us quite a bit of money because we had already built an entire infrastructure of analog towers and had to pay for all of these new million dollar digital towers. And when we looked at Europe, they had not built that entire infrastructure moved directly to digital and actually ended up ahead of North America. So kind of a similar reference in China. In China, they really didn't have a good payments infrastructure. They didn't really have credit card adoption and they had a lot of underbanked, underserved. And what happened is these apps will like, Um, Alibaba owns um, Alipay, came Mm -hmm. out of Ant Financial, and that was started as an app to be utilized for financial services. So you could do some insurance payments, you can buy, you know, your airline ticket or movies or invest or make payments. And because most Chinese people utilize the internet, not through a laptop, but through a smartphone, um, what happened is to enable faster payments, they created this QR code digital wallet payment through Alipay and WeChat, which enabled merchants who didn't have payment infrastructure to be able to accept payments and consumers who didn't have a credit card to make payments. Mm -hmm. So contactless payments became widely adopted uh, in China, uh, much more so than North America, because we're so used to these credit card payments 
um, aspects. So they actually have over 1.2 billion users and are the largest digital wallet in the world. So a fast forward, a leapfrog, if you will, on our classic Interact debit cards, they went straight to the QR code into the app and the payment systems like that, really. Is that that fair? Uh, yeah, it just in a much more technical consumer forward app yeah. driven experience. Okay. So they're being utilized on a daily basis. Um, and then from a WeChat comparable, in China, you're not allowed to have apps from can- from the US, let's mm-hmm. say. So Amazon and Twitter and you know all of these different apps that you're used to, Messenger, WhatsApp, they're not allowed in China. So WeChat actually became the mimic of all of those in one app. Oh, wow. So you can book a doctor's appointment or you can book your pet grooming or you can make a payment or you could send money to a friend. Everything you do in life is on that one app. And they actually hit 1.1 billion users. Wow. So there's massive numbers. Now, WeChat is the same WeChat that's part of the TikTok conversation as well, too, right? That's been in the news cycle the last couple of weeks. Same same outfit. Yeah, definitely. So what's happened in the U.S. with that executive order, where it was largely believed they were just going to focus on TikTok, they came out last minute and added... Um, like Tencent, which is WeChat, a parent company, as well as um, Alibaba, Alipay under Ant Financial, uh, which puts a mass restriction on utilization of those apps, which are uh, available for payment in Canada and the U.S. for Chinese citizens to make payments into Canada and the U.S. at retail. Okay. So it makes sense then if I'm a mall and I have Chinese shoppers and they're going to come in, all the retailers might not have Alipay, but if I have Alipay on my customer service desk, you can come in, you can buy some gift cards. Now you can go shopping anywhere in the mall. It works. It's a win because now the money's into the mall gift card. Now go shopping. It stays inside the mall infrastructure because it's on our gift card. So that, from that perspective, it all seems clean and makes sense to me. Um, there are other pieces of this. So my friend, Darren, when his mom passed away, she was in Mexico. She's a Canadian and she was there and she had more than $10,000 cash with her. In order for him to bring that money home, he has to prove where it comes from. Well, this is his mom that's been in Mexico for the last few months. There's no proof. And so then it's taxable. It's investigable. And that's not a word. <laughs> um, oh. uh, <laughs> yeah, you can, you can, you get what I, my point is. Um, yeah. But they've got to look There's at AML. that. There's right? AML and, and KYC necessary. So compliance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the proper terms. Thank you. The, no um, so now here's a Canadian just trying to bring his mom's money home. And that's a problem. Now, if I'm a Chinese citizen, and I come to Canada, I have $10,000 on me. Uh, I have to, you know, sort of declare that when I come through. But if I have 11,000, now there's fees on that. You have to prove that. You have to track that. Money laundering's part of it. Um, income taxes is part of it. There's all kinds of reasons why you have to do that. And the my biggest question in all of this is, okay, it's convenient for me to use Alipay at 7-Eleven to buy a Slurpee. That makes sense. But if I want to move money into Canada without paying income tax, I can do that. So if I have income in China and it goes into, maybe I'm paying a Chinese tax on it, that's fine, but it's coming into that account. Now I'm living in Canada. My time is in Canada. I'm making income. 
But now I'm moving all that money into Canada. I'm fundamentally working in Canada, but my income's coming from another country. Now there's no income tax being paid. That's concerning to me. That's a real good skirt using gift cards to skirt around um, money and corporate gift cards inside business. That's a thing where a business will give someone a corporate gift card as a thank you. Um, you can do that. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of handshakes that, that come with gift cards because they're not traceable that way. So with Alipay though, now we're taking this loop of money moving from country to country with no taxes, no income taxes, um, no real traceability to it. And now on top of that, we're still using a Chinese banking system inside Canada. Does that concern you like it concerns me? Or are there, is there at least conversation from other people around that says, well, wait a second, this isn't quite working? So I think it, it definitely raises some high-level compliance aspects. I, I don't have exact numbers of what is allowed to be utilized from a volume perspective with an Alipay or a WeChat account within Canada, or if there's set limits against it. Um, I, I do know that AML and KYC is quite stringent, especially within like the prepaid gift card space. Um, but that's obviously when you're purchasing them within Canada under Canadian ruling. Um, I don't have exact details of their limits of what they're able to utilize with those apps. Um, but it, it does raise some flags. Um, I do think that the, the U.S. Uh, executive order, though it hasn't been acknowledged from a Canadian front, um, definitely um, causes some thought into what are the data privacy rights, first of all, uh, regarding apps like TikTok and Alipay, as well as WeChat in the sense that they are run um, by the Chinese government in some aspect or another. Therefore, where is our data being held? Um, you know, I'd be interested to see where Canada takes the discussion, especially with a primate, like our finance minister stepping down and having a new finance minister and, and what is our vision of how we're going to either take a stance or not take a stance and what that means for the Canadians. Currently, high-level stats are that Chinese consumers spend $35 billion in Canada on a yearly basis, um, and they... In 2019, uh, there was a stat that they would spend more if there was more payment options for them. So I think WeChat and Alipay definitely give an option to drive additional consumer spend in Canada, which has driven up substantially uh, consumer spend since 2015, which does help the Canadian economy. Um, and if we do put restrictions on these two apps, it will definitely um, potentially harm some of that volume that's coming in. Um, but is there an overbody, an oversight looking into exactly how much is being spent by every individual user? And is there any actual data visibility to our compliance um, at like governmental aspects? I'm not exactly sure of that answer, but I do think if there isn't, we, we very much need to be looking into those aspects. Okay. Um we can simplify, I think, even a little bit more. If my money's in a box somewhere and that box is in China, there's no guarantee I'm going to get my money back if they decide to flip off the switch. That would be a thing. So the thing is, is like I will state, they do have to pay tax on the purchase of the product. Right. Um, do they have to pay income tax if they're also in Canada making an income versus being a visitor to Canada? Um, that is a question I think is a, a good 
discussion point to reach out to government to actually find the right answer on. Um, and I think if we were to follow the U.S. or or just watch what happens in the U.S. with them turning off those apps, uh, into what effect it might have on on the U.S. economy at the moment. As I do think, I don't know the exact number, but if we're at 35 billion in Chinese consumer spend, I'm, I'm guessing the U.S. has quite a bit, you know, 10x larger. Yeah, it's um, usually 10 is usually the safe number to assume, isn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. So it will be very interesting, A, to see who potentially partners to pick up the data rights and ownership in the U.S., and then how that then affects the Chinese consumer uh, who is driving, you know, strong spending. And then to highlight your other question of if that has them skirting any type of Canadian income tax or U.S. income tax um, is a question I hadn't looked into in full detail, but it definitely raised some thoughts and who to discuss that with. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it seems so incredibly curious to me. It seems incomplete, right? That, that the loop seems incomplete, that, that these kinds of things can happen um, without the loop being closed. And I mean, it's safe to say that time and time again, we've learned that the information that comes out of China has been not always all the information, right? Or always accurate. So why wouldn't that be the case in something like this? So I find it and particularly curious. Now, what the States is doing, and the States is protecting the money. The answer to me is always follow the money. You're going to find your answer. You know, are we just being naive and blind as Canadians right now that this is not a big deal? Because I mean, that's a David and Goliath conversation when it comes to Canada and Alipay in, in the, in the world of finances. I mean, that's big. Yeah, I think Canada I think that we always kind of take a watch and see look to some degree, uh, especially in this type of situation where um, it can cause different relations um, based on a decision that we make. And I think with COVID and so many economy challenges um, and also stepping into kind of the 5G Huawei uh, discussion where we did take a stance, um, I don't foresee Canada making a statement so quickly. Um, I do foresee them waiting to see what happens on September 20th um, and how that all plays out, especially because like looking at just contactless payments in general to take a positive spin, like due to COVID, there's so many challenges that have happened and so many people are, are suffering or are having financial woes. But what it has driven is a lot of contactless payment infrastructure, like um, the World Health Organization recommended uh, in, in March that people try and utilize contactless payments as much as possible um, from a tracing perspective. And what you've seen is a lot of people have moved online. A lot of people are use, utilizing their credit cards, debit cards, and prepaid cards at retail from a tap perspective. Visa and MasterCard both increased their limits to from 100 to 250. And a lot of consumers are getting used to that infrastructure of like kind of tap to pay with Canadian cards and Canadian infrastructure, as well as PayPal has come out uh, and launched QR payments, which is very similar to Alipay and WeChat in 28 countries as of July. And what that's starting to do is enable kind of that underbanked, underserved And when you look at Canadians today, like I just went to Niagara with my family, my kids, my husband um, last week, 
and to get the menu because nobody wants to actually give you a menu that they then have to give and clean to some, for someone else. It's all QR based. So you go to the restaurant and they give you a QR code that then pops up the menu. So consumers are starting to get used to these QR type interconnections. Um, and what I would be very interested to see is how this then formulates our next North American based payments growth. Mm. And if the U.S. is taking this stance, does that give another opportunity for U.S. fintechs and Canadian fintechs to potentially fill the gap for these Chinese consumers and offer them some type of Canadian-based infrastructure to help with their shopping needs uh, in, in a layered-like system in what might be the next future of Canada hopefully taking a stance on open banking? Uh, yeah, and letting Canadian banks do what Canadian banks do. And uh, so I kind of find it exciting. When you describe it that way, I find it exciting that there is opportunity there. Um, at the same time, though, when we look at the CRA getting hacked, when you use a sign-in partner like a Scotiabank or an RBC to log into your CRA account and those credentials get hacked, then it all of a sudden kind of makes you recoil a little bit and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, you know, how far is too far for online? So I think there's an interesting point there. So um, first, I do want to share that I just became an advisor to the National Crowdfund and Fintech Association of Canada um, because they have assembled a whole summer's worth of content, um, largely almost for free from a ticket perspective. And what they're doing is every Thursday for three hours, sharing insights um, at a cost ratio that allows Canadians and business owners to really understand what are fintechs, what's the innovation, what's digital identity, what's open banking, how is it enabling consumer savings and consumer empowerment? And I, I just think it's really important to mention that because if Canadians can grasp what open banking truly means, and it means choice, what's happened in the UK and allowing consumers to have more competition, not just the, the five bank offering, but kind of specific offerings. Uh, we have over almost 1200 fintechs within Canada, but the challenge you just raised is what's is called screen scraping is how we're enabling these fintechs today because we don't have the regulatory ruling, the framework on digital identity, the framework on privacy to actually give consumers the right technology to safely log in to a service. Hmm. And my hope is that we move and this pushes us to get to a real open banking framework that pushes all of those things and, and really gives safety to the Canadian consumer and options. It's very enlightening, Michelle. I think that it's uh, it opens all of our eyes into what we think is safe, what we think is normal, and to look at other places in the world that are millions of miles ahead, uh, so much so that you know we might not be prepared for this game. And we might be so far behind uh, in this dance that, that we don't realize that other people are taking full advantage of it and maybe even saving more money month to month than we could be. Um, and we're spending an awful lot of money in places that maybe we don't need to. Um, I think that a lot of people, if they could look at that part of their, 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 their own bank statement, if you will, the old business ledger, then they, could, they might go and, and say, whoa, 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 if I can save how much? Or I can do this how easy and I don't have to sit here and manually reconcile this into that and make sure that I can afford it. Um, that's, that's an amazing place. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really uh, enjoyed the discussion and I, I hope we get to chat again one day.
more show content and clips from The Shift with Drex. Go to theshiftwithdrex.ca. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.